the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Kaohsiung, 1949. In 1949, thousands upon thousands of soldiers descended on Taiwan. They and their families had come as the Republic of China government retreated to the island, its final base of opposition against Chinese communists after the Chinese Civil War. Here, they settled, awaiting the day when they would return in triumph to their homes in mainland China. Of course, we know this wasn't to be, but these soldiers thought they'd see home again in a few years' time at least. In the meantime, they waited, living in what came to be known as military dependence villages, fully expecting to be called into action again sometime soon. Today, many of these old veterans' villages have been demolished. Some of the few surviving buildings from the heyday of these villages can be found in the southern port city of Kaohsiung, collected together in a cultural park. My guest this week, Zhou Zhidong, knows the veterans' villages of Kaohsiung very well. He grew up in one. This week, he's here not only to tell us about the park and its remnants, but also about his own memories of life in this very environment. Kaohsiung was home to a strategic military port, and all three branches of the military ended up moving their military academies to Kaohsiung as well. So it was that Kaohsiung ended up with an especially big concentration of military families. This sudden influx of people was met by a shortage of housing. Before 1945, Taiwan had been ruled as a Japanese colony, and a few strategic buildings left over from this era could be repurposed for housing. But this was mostly reserved for new arrivals of higher rank, and space soon ran out. Mass housing had to be built quickly, and the result was that most military families ended up living in housing blocks of 10 to 20 households. Eventually, 59 veterans' villages covering 90 hectares would be built in the Kaohsiung area alone, and those were just the officially sanctioned villages. Though families' small rooms were private spaces, toilets were shared dorm-style, and it was also common for two families to share a kitchen. They'd have to work out their mealtimes around one another. What Mr. Joe's mind immediately goes back to is how filthy the bathrooms were, and also memories of mothers frantically hosing off children who'd fallen into the communal latrines. It was a tough upbringing, and one Mr. Joe says is difficult to imagine today. Things didn't always stay so miserable, though. A few decades after the war, Taiwan's economy started taking off, and village residents' living conditions improved. But in the heyday of the villages, maybe around the 1950s and 60s, money could be tight and conditions basic. One section of the park features a typical living room, dining room, and kitchen, complete with typical furnishings. It's an authentic setup, and those who grew up in these villages immediately recognize one object in particular. Used naval shells turned into makeshift rice containers. These shells were tightly sealed, and while unconventional, they did a great job of protecting rice from moisture. Another item on display is a pot that was once used to pickle vegetables. 
Mr. Zhou remembers the story of a woman called Ms. Ni, who once fled strife in war-torn China, carrying her pot as she went and sharing her vegetables with other roadside refugees. She saved many lives with this kind of pot, Mr. Zhou says. Another building in the park is called the Military Dependence Village Club. It illustrates other aspects of life in the village outside the home. There are real examples of placards written with political slogans of the time. Also inside is an example of a sentry post, something special to the cluster of veterans' villages around this part of Gaoxiong. These villages weren't blocked off from the outside world, but residents all had passes, and visitors needed to check in with a guard post, which would then hail the family with visitors via loudspeaker. The club building also has information about rations for residents and entertainment options. Mr. Zhou says this part of Gaoxiong had a place to wine and dine, a place called the Four Seas or One Family. And above all, there were two spots for catching a cheap movie. Everyone went to the movies back then, he says, and dates at these two theaters were a formative experience for many a teenage resident. With U.S. soldiers nearby in the early years, there were also weekly dance nights, though Mr. Joe says he was too young to take part at the time. The place called The Four Seas Are One Family had an iron anchor decoration that almost every resident of these veterans' villages posed with for a photo at least once. Also in this building is information about cultural life in the veterans' villages. Despite the occasional bit of entertainment, life in the villages remained tough, with less than enough to eat and other difficulties besides. Still, people cared for education, especially their children's educations. Mr. Joe remembers being taken into town each Sunday to buy books with his three siblings. And there were also a few who cared enough about literature to sacrifice for it. Such was the case of three poets who pawned their belongings for the funds to start a poetry publication in the villages. Mr. Zhou says its descendant still has an important place in Taiwan's literary scene. Another building in the park looks at government slogans and programs. There was one slogan in particular that everyone believed in, Mr. Zhou says. This had to do with opposing communism and retaking mainland China. For the first generation especially, who'd lost their homes and were in a strange place, this was not an abstract idea. Mr. Zhou says people believed President Chiang Kai-shek when he said that they'd only need a year of preparation, two years of fighting, and three years of rooting out stragglers to make it all happen. This belief that they were only in Taiwan temporarily made the hardships of village life easier to bear. Though, as we've said, the planned comeback campaign never came to be. One policy highlighted in this building is the Chinese Cultural Renaissance, a program the government rolled out as an attempted counter to the Cultural Revolution happening across the Taiwan Strait. Mr. Zhou says that in veterans' villages, at least, people supported this kind of campaign wholeheartedly. The decades rolled on. The original veterans aged, and it became clear that they were here to stay. 
By this point, a special veterans' village culture had arisen. These people had all come from very different parts of mainland China, with different customs and even different languages. But these people built up real communities, knitted together by common circumstance. Mr. Zhou remembers gestures of kindness, like a mother of three, two doors down, who always thought of him when she made clothes for her children. This woman was among many in the villages, using their sewing machines to supplement their families' incomes. With money tight, Chinese New Year was the only time anyone would get new clothes. And when this time of year rolled around, like clockwork, this woman would make clothes for Mr. Zhou as well as for her own children. This tight-knit culture was so developed that by the late 1990s, when these villages began to be demolished, it seemed almost a shame to see them go. There wasn't opposition per se. The old village residents were moved into big new buildings, and unlike their old homes, which were government-owned, these new apartments were their own property to buy or sell or refurbish as they pleased. Still, the military did decide to spare 13 villages for preservation. This culture park is part of one such spared village, left to tell its story to future generations. But the park, in particular, is more than just a museum. Since it opened last summer, the park has been committed to making sure its old buildings live and breathe again. Two final buildings in the park are put to regular use. One is a rest area for visitors, and the other is a guest house. A piece of the old village that visitors who apply in advance can stay in and experience for themselves. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. RTI. 